0: Now, the top of the hour on the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn presents the Green News
1: Report. It's a a disaster of monumental uh, dimensions.
2: Humanitarian crisis worsens in Central Africa amid massive flooding. Toxic air pollution 10 times worse in communities of color, plus... In addition to
3: lowering costs and creating jobs, this investment will also help us... Fight the climate crisis. Biden administration invests billions
2: to help lower home heating costs.
4: Winter is coming. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And
2: I'm Desi Doyen.
4: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and...
0: Snarky comment. This was a high-stakes election because Bolsonaro is known for embracing fascism and overseeing a surge in deforestation in the Amazon. And as any Brazilian will tell you, deforestation should happen only along the bikini line.
4: (laughs) Are we working blue now? I think we're working blue now. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, thank you for covering this story in Africa.
2: Yes, unfortunately, shocking new satellite images have revealed the widespread devastation caused by massive flooding across West and Central Africa. Record intense seasonal rains in October linked to man-made climate change have submerged farmland in 19 countries, destroying crops, displacing millions, and spreading waterborne diseases. In Nigeria, the floods are among the worst in that country's history, with flood victims now forced to drink and use contaminated floodwaters despite the risk of cholera. Mm. The United Nations has requested more international aid to mitigate the growing humanitarian crisis.
4: Are they going to get it?
2: We'll see. Here in the U.S., it's been known for decades that communities of color are exposed to more toxic air pollution than predominantly white communities. But a new study out this week has found that racially segregated communities are also exposed to far higher concentrations, specifically of airborne toxic metals like lead, nickel, and chromium from nearby industry Mm. at a rate nearly 10 times higher. The study also confirmed that overall, communities of color bear a disproportionate burden of pollution, breathing double the levels of all types of air pollution than more well-integrated communities. In Southern California, a new study concludes that nearly a third of the Southern Sierra Nevada's forests have been lost to drought, fire, and insect infestations over the last 10 years. A third? Yes. Overall, the researchers found 85% of the Southern Sierra's mature forests lost density, with some areas shifting permanently into non-forest vegetation, like shrubs.
4: That sucks. That's one of my favorite places to go camping.
2: In other news, the U.K.'s new Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has reversed course and is now no longer too busy to attend the next U.N. Climate Treaty Summit in Egypt in a few days. He issued a statement saying there is, quote, no long-term prosperity without action on climate change. So
4: he was going to try to duck out before? Oh, yes, he did. Well, you know, the one thing that Boris Johnson was not
2: terrible on was actually the climate. Am I right? You are correct. And Green Party Parliament Member Caroline Lucas, agrees. Well of course I'm glad he's made another screeching U-turn, but
5: what an embarrassment. What an embarrassment that he's had to be shamed into doing the right thing, maybe for fear of being upstaged by Boris Johnson who is going to the to the climate summit. And what a failure of leadership.
4: Yeah, totally. They ought to get a new Prime Minister in Great Britain.
5: Another
2: one? Why not? It's been
4: a week since the latest one.
2: Some good news. No, the U.S. is not on the verge of running out of diesel fuel. Despite some very scary headlines, energy experts say no, the U.S. will not run out of diesel despite a temporarily tight supply, which is primarily due to the slow reopening of refineries that were closed during the pandemic.
4: So life is not coming to a screeching halt here in the U.S. Correct. Someone let Fox News know, please.
2: More good news. The Biden Interior Department has selected the first two areas for offshore wind development in the Gulf of Mexico, clearing the way for wind projects off the coast of Louisiana and Texas to begin.
4: Nice. I hope there are no dangerous wind spills in the Gulf.
2: Finally, Vice President Kamala Harris was in Boston on Wednesday to announce new funding to help Americans afford higher fossil fuel heating costs this winter, boosting reserves for the low-income home energy assistance program to help cover heating costs and utility bills. In addition, 9 billion dollars from the Democrats Inflation Reduction Act will also go to help homeowners electrify their homes by cutting the upfront cost of weatherizing and upgrading for energy efficiency in including next-generation electric heat pumps, water heaters, and more.
3: By helping families pay the upfront cost for energy efficiency upgrades to their homes, we are also lowering energy bills, bringing down household costs, creating jobs, and fighting the climate crisis.
4: Sounds terrible. Winter is coming. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report.
0: Please help progressive voices support the Green News Report by stopping by bradblog.com donate. them hear you. Make them hear you.
6: From Interfaith Alliance, Make this is State of Belief Radio. I'm Interfaith Alliance President Reverend Paul Rauschenbusch, broadcasting this week from New York City. If we ever needed to vote for democracy
4: and justice, we sure do need
6: to vote. The fight to preserve voting access for economically marginalized and other disenfranchised Americans has kept religious social justice groups very busy these past couple of years, up to and including repeated arrests for faith leaders like Poor People's Campaign co chair Bishop William Barber and Reverend Liz Theo Harris. As Election Day draws near, Liz will be back with us to talk about the campaign's
0: massive national get out the vote effort. I'm Doug Padgett, and I want to invite you to join us on the Vote Common Good Tour this fall as we barnstorm the country to invoke a new ethic, the common good. And we want you to know that you're not alone.
6: The organization Vote Common Good is crisscrossing the country with a big orange bus rallying faith voters to stand against Christian nationalism and vote for the common good. Doug Padgett, executive director of Vote Common Good, will be with us to share how it's going. The
0: state of Florida uh, has charged and is in the process of arresting 20 individuals across the state for voter fraud. At the
6: time that they registered the vote, they were led to believe that everything was okay. How dare the state respond by arresting them? How dare the state respond by scaring people from wanting to be a part of this democracy? Many of us watched and discussed as men and women were filmed while being arrested in Florida. Their crime was believing the officials when they were told they could vote. Cruel stunts like what happened in Florida are just one example of attempts to undermine public confidence in the upcoming midterm elections in the Sunshine State. Pushing back is the League of Women Voters, And I'll talk with the president of the Florida chapter of the league, Cecile Schoon. You can hear State of Belief on the radio and get the podcast on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcast platforms. Each week, I will be in conversation with some of the most fascinating and impactful civic and religious leaders across the nation. You won't want to miss it, so please subscribe today. State of Belief Radio is made possible in great part by the generous support of our listeners. If you've made a donation, I really want to thank you. If you haven't pitched in yet, information on how you can be helpful in keeping this show on the air is available at stateofbelief.com. And you can find out more about the work of Interfaith Alliance and join in that work at interfaithalliance.org. And now to my first guest. To be a true democracy requires that all people not only be allowed but encouraged to participate in voting. Over the centuries, our country has slowly been including more people in our democratic process. However, today we are seeing backsliding on that commitment as systematic voter intimidation and suppression targeting Black voters as well as poor voters has become a tactic of those on the right. Relentlessly sounding a national call for moral revival, the Poor People's Campaign is uncompromising in living into the slogan, Our Votes, are Demands. It's great to have campaign co chair Reverend Liz Theo Harris back with us on this week's show. Rev Liz, welcome to State of Belief Radio.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you.
6: All right. So tell me an update. What is the Poor People's Campaign focused on right now?
1: So, for the past couple of months, we have been reaching out to uh, more than 5 million poor and low-income, low-propensity voters. That means voters that are less likely to participate in elections, you know, sometimes because of voter suppression, transportation issues, you know, child care issues, but also because for too long, our politics have not focused on the priorities, the needs, the demands of poor and low-income people. And, and yet, actually, poor and low-income people make up one-third of the electorate, and in some battleground places, um, forty to forty-five percent. And yet, we have not been hearing these issues. So, so we're in a campaign to reach out to poor and low-income voters to have those poor and low-income people make our politicians hear us, right? Um, and to and to, that's indeed. so
6: important. What are some of the issues that you feel are voter issues, especially of poor uh, and black and brown people? What What are some of the issues that feel really present this midterm?
1: Well, I think the fact that we for 13 years have not seen a minimum wage increase, right? The the federal minimum wage is still $7.25 an hour. Um, There's not a town or a county or a small city anywhere, um, let alone a big city, anywhere in this country where if you're working full time at that wage, you can afford to even rent a two bedroom apartment, right? So we have to have an increase to the the federal minimum wage and make it a living wage and start at least at $15 an hour and then go up from there. We we have to have uh, expanded universal health care? How is it that we just went through and are still actually feeling the effects of and going through the worst public health um, uh, crisis in in generations, in a hundred years, right, uh, a million, more than a million people dead. Um, a third of those folks, uh, pol- you know, uh, public health officials are saying if they had had healthcare, they wouldn't have died from COVID, right? Um, and yet we haven't seen a significant expansion of healthcare care, um, and we yeah. have, uh, you know, it's and so so that's another issue. It's it's on the ballot. It's 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 there. People care about it. We need to see something done around it.
6: You know, my sense is, is that many politicians would rather talk about anything. I mean, we've seen specifically what they want to talk about is trans children. They'd much rather talk about that than talking about actually having people be able to live their lives well. And so, like, you know, I, I think that this is so helpful. Do you find that that is something that resonates particularly with people of faith and with the moral framework that you work under?
1: So we surely here and community to community that we go, um, whether it's the child tax credit or decent housing or health care or living wages, whether it's, you know, um, all of these kind of life and livelihood issues um, that that impact really the vast majority of people, uh, folks, you know, just celebrate it, just amen it, just say that, yes, these are the issues of our day. They're the moral issues of our day, right? I mean, I mean, here you have, uh, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, you have uh, Jesus Christ, you know traveling across the land, setting up free healthcare clinics, never asking a leper for a copay. And yet we have right now, you know, folks that are, are literally burying their children because they do not have healthcare. And oh my god many of the folks that are denying the expansion of health care are are self-proclaimed christians who are, are saying that if god wanted to save those people uh they, they that he would have right that is that is heretical and, and when jesus preaches about good news to the poor now right. what, what is that good news if it isn't? Right the ending of evictions. It isn't the canceling of debt. It isn't, you know, the the very economic and social and political supports that, that people need and that we can do. I mean, it costs our country it. more to have the kind of poverty that we have than it would be to end it. And yet, here we are.
6: What in this last week with um, Get Out the Vote, what are you all doing for that effort. And I also want to invite if if there's ways that people can can support you, I'd love to hear those too.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we have already reached out to 5 million poor and low income voters. That's we've touched one in 50 eligible voters in this country. Um, We focused on 15 states this week. We're focusing particularly on georgia ohio pennsylvania north carolina and florida and if people have time to text and phone bank um, poor and low income low propensity voters in those states with the poor people's campaign you can go to our website vote.poorpeoplescampaign.org and you can sign up for a text bank we're, we're doing at least six a day, every day a week, um, and there's lots of opportunity to be reaching out, you know, to to many voters that never have people come reach out to them, right? Um, so that's happening. And then at the same time as you do that, you know, make sure that you're getting involved if you can by either going and being a poll protector, you know, encouraging folks in your community, because uh, that that happens across the country. You know, obviously we we're seeing a, a an election this year um, that has even more voter suppression and voter intimidation, and and we've been through you know multiple cycles now without the full protections of the Voting Rights Act, and so so we also need to make the connection between both turning people out and actually fighting for the heart and soul of this democracy because um, right. it's really at stake and it really matters, and 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 we have to assert that that you know that we're 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 going to fight for this for this nation to be what it says it could be um absolutely
6: you know to achieve our country as uh baldwin wrote um okay. those states feel really important
1: we're active in about 40 states and we selected 15 in this kind of pre midterm cycle, after we held, you know, one of the largest gatherings of poor and low income people um, in in Washington D.C. back in June, um, we then have been kind of marching toward the polls, and 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 folks showed up in D.C. from every state in the union. Um, but we identified 15 states that more than a third of their electorate is made up of poor and low income people. But then also that the margin of of victory in those states from the last election, from the last couple of elections, if just a small percentage of poor and low income people uh, more than had turned out in the last election turned out in this election, they could change um, the outcome of the election. Um, A state like Florida, I I think it's I I might have the number wrong, but it's really small. It's it's something like if 4% more poor and low income voters were to were to vote um, in this election, mm. uh, they could change the outcome of the last election. You know, like right. you know, and again, I mean, she, they could change the outcome of the last election, but they would have exceeded the margin of victory, right? I mean, and and in in North Carolina, it's it's nineteen percent um but that means only actually thousands of voters right like in some places it's hundreds of voters I mean that's how close so when people say you know does my vote really matter the answer is a a decidedly yes and especially if if you're poor and low-income folks who who have not heard the issues that of concern to you have not seen the kind of policies being passed that that benefit you and your community then then you have the power and it's in your hands to go and and make a huge impact right um,
6: and, and, and i think that that what you're saying is votes are demands do i have that right that's right that's votes right votes are demands i think that that actually has a resonance there because it's not just oh yeah i'll vote and then you guys do whatever you want it's like no i voted and and by the way i'm going to hold you accountable
1: that's right, that's for, right. for my
6: needs and i and, and and my community showed up so you're going to represent us
1: that's right. That's exactly right. I mean, so Mary Kay Henry, the president of SEIU, you know, said that um, from the stage of this Mass Poor People and Low Wage Workers Assembly and Moral March on Washington that we held this past summer. And, and she said, you know, our votes are not support. That's that's not what they mean. They mean that we're demanding that you actually pay attention to the issues that that matter to people. Um right. we're putting you in there, we can take you out of there, right? That's right. Um,
6: it's a representative and, democracy. Representative, right. Represent 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 represent. And, I, and the I,
1: issues that we care about are are, you know, healthcare and living wages and voter, you know, r- voting rights and immigrant rights and and the rights yeah. of LGBTQ folks and 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 the intersection and interplay of well, all of that. I
6: think one of the most amazing things about the Poor People's Campaign, and I, I have said this to um, uh, Bishop Barber and to others in the in the Poor People, uh, no one gets thrown under the bus. No,
1: nope. it's very
6: tempting to say, okay, we're not going di- to we're not going to talk about um, LGBTQ issues because that's divisive in some communities, and we really like we're we're just going. It's like no, we're not going to do it that way. We're not going to play that game. We're not going to beat into that idea. That there aren't queer poor people because, of course, there are.
1: I mean, forty forty percent of 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 homeless youth are queer.
6: Yeah, 40% and so percent, so right? this 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 kind of um, you know, but but that's very tempting, and I understand it. And as a gay man, I'm always like when I see that, I'm like, okay, I und- I I make excuses for it because I'm like, I I I don't want to, I don't want my thing to get in the way of progress for poor people. But Barber has been, and you, I, I, it's just amazing. So I just want to, one publicly acknowledge it, show my gratitude, and also show, like, that's what I dream of. I actually dream of a world, um, and that's the religious dream for me, where Mm -hmm. no one is actually left behind, no one is thrown under the bus, and everybody is included. The other piece of this is that um, there are white poor people. This is a call for everyone to come together. These are messages that I've heard that I just, I lift up.
1: No, I appreciate that. I mean, like in this voter outreach that we're doing, this mobilization and organizing. Um, you know, we're we're reaching out to a section of the 140 million people in this the richest country in human history who are poor or one small emergency away from from, you know, absolute economic ruin. Uh, the largest number I mean not percentage-wide but we we have to acknowledge the the history right. sure. the, the reality of of systemic racism and and the disproportionate impact of poverty on Black and Latino and Native and Asian communities um but in raw numbers um in any of the states that that we're focusing on and any of the states that we look at there are more poor white people then there are poor people of other races right and and what Correct. we're talking about is how do we connect to you know and and build this fusion coalition this fusion movement you know hearkening back to other moments in US history when poor white people and poor latino and black and 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 asian and native have come together um to right. really you know be what Dr. King called a new and unsettling force in our complacent national life, right?
6: <laughs> new and unsettling force. That's right. Yes, ma'am. Uh, so last words, I would love two things. I want one really like specific example of a, of a person or a community that comes to mind in the last several months that just like sticks out and you say, oh my God, like I'm getting up every day, facing a lot, but I think about them and I say, my work. I'm glad I'm doing this work. I'm glad I'm with these these people. I'm glad I was able to help just a small way. Is there a is there an anecdote of, that you can think of that that helps exemplify why it's so important to do this work?
1: Yeah, I was. We were just holding a online kind of uh, rally after we had done marches to the polls um, a couple of weeks ago with the Poor People's Campaign and. There were there were two folks from Alabama who joined that um, one was um, Mama Callie Greer, um, who had to bury her daughter Venus um, because of the lack of health care and, and Medicaid expansion in the state of Alabama, and Ashley had to bury um, her 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 son, Mer- Mercury, to, to gun violence um, and to the kind of violence um, of our of our communities. Um, and then she was sitting with um, a, a man who is uh, living in a homeless encampment in Mobile, Alabama. She, she is from Selma. Um, who was talking about how you know uh, he's um, he's dying from cancer right now, and he can't you know get housing, he can't get health care, um, and politicians have been trying to tell him that you know he doesn't matter and his vote you know shouldn't 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 be cast right. Um, but there you had you know in Alabama. Uh, these two leaders um, sitting, who are going through incredible hardship, but who are, you know, marching and calling and texting people and saying, you know, we, we matter. Um, uh, we, we, you know, we're poor and low income people and we're here and we're not going anywhere. And we're gonna make sure, um, our, you know, our voices are heard, our stories are told and and that, you know, uh, and this message that, that actually when we, when we lift from the bottom, you know, when when actually, you know, everybody's in nobody's out that that when you kind of bring things up from the bottom, then everybody gets to rise, right. And so our politics have got to change in this country, they can change. Um, When we invest in living wages and child tax credit and health care, you know what, that helps everybody. Um, uh, It saves lives. But you know, if, if tomorrow we were to put into into um, reality, uh, a $15 an hour minimum wage across the country, that would mean $368 billion being brought into the economy.
6: The Reverend Liz Harris is co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, the National Call for Moral Revival, along with Bishop William Barber. She is leading a nationwide initiative to ensure the voices of economically marginalized Americans are heard at the voting booth and everywhere else. Reverend Liz, thank you so much for taking time for State of Belief Radio.
1: Thank you so much, Reverend Paul. Good to be here.
6: We need to take a quick break, but we're just getting started with this week's show. Up next, the leader of Vote Common Good, Doug Paget. And later, Florida League of Women Voters President Cecile Schoon. You're listening to State of Belief Radio, brought to you by Interfaith Alliance. Find out more about State of
4: Belief and Interfaith Alliance at stateofbelief.com.
3: 911, what's your emergency?
5: America's
6: healthcare system is broken and people are dying.
3: Welcome to Code Whack, where we shine a light on America's callous healthcare system, how it hurts us, and what we can do about it. I'm your host, Brenda Gazar. This time on Code Whack, why are so many US residents traveling to countries like the Philippines and Thailand for their medical care? even some residents who have health insurance. To find out, we spoke to my dear friend, Michael Javahary, who prefers to travel abroad for his medical and dental procedures. Michael's a Los Angeles-based life coach, trainer, speaker, author, and master hypnotist. The information shared in this episode is not medical advice. In 2019, it was reported that nearly two million Americans sought medical care abroad. The COVID pandemic cut into that, but the medical tourism market, both inbound into the U.S. and outbound from the U.S., is projected to grow. When did you first seek medical care abroad, and where did you go?
4: Uh, first time it was in 2018. It was in Philippines on a small island for dental work, and I was really pleasantly surprised. Very nice, modern office, all computerized, everything, and everything. Uh, I remember here at that time, 2018 would have cost me close to $2,000, something like that, to do some basic work. That, and over there, uh, I think it was done about $300. That was the first time. So really good job. The, all the procedures, everything's exactly the same.
3: A full Code Whack story on ProgressiveVoices.com and on the PV app. Catch all our episodes by subscribing to Code Whack wherever you find your podcast. This podcast is powered by Heal California, a nonprofit that uplifts the voices of those fighting for health care reform around the country. Until next time, stay healthy.
0: You've got us 24 hours a day on your mobile smartphone via the Progressive Voices app. This is the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn.
4: This is State of Belief Radio on the Progressive
6: Voices Network. Welcome back to State of Belief Radio. I'm Paul Rauschenbusch. It's a very American way to bring a message to communities nationwide roll into town with a bus, in this case, a big orange bus, urging voters to vote for the common good. We are with Doug Paget, who is the executive director of Vote Common Values, and we're catching up with him on the road. So welcome to the show, Doug. Hey,
0: Paul, what a treat to be with you all.
6: All right. So where are you? I'm actually literally looking at you with the background going
0: by. Beautiful foliage. Hey. Where are we? Well, we are experiencing a beautiful day moving uh, between uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and Columbus, Ohio. So we're uh, somewhere on the highway between those two great cities in Ohio.
6: Talk to me about the genesis of this particular project. Uh, I'll just, you know, background. You've just, you've been involved in so many creative initiatives about bringing values to America, um, rooted in your faith, but reaching out... uh, Why why don't we start there, actually, and just talk a little bit about your background, where you come from, and how you got to this place.
0: Well, I spent my adult life as a pastor in the evangelical church tradition. There's a little sliver uh, that many people don't know about of the evangelicals, which are the progressive evangelicals. And uh, so I've been in that stream. And I've been a church pastor, started a church, do a lot of organizing with other leaders around the country and writing books about church life and spirituality and so that's been the genesis of the work i've done as an adult always seeing the role of spirituality to be not only a personal benefit but also a public good and that our our faith should drive us to contribute to being a benefit and blessing to all people and that's the approach i've taken in church work and theology and uh, civic engagement. Um, so that, and that ultimately led to the starting of Vote Common Good.
6: One of the interesting statistics, kind of happening more recently, is that actually Christian, especially Christian national identity, is not actually accompanied by frequent church going. It's really a almost a it's almost like an identity that has very little to do with the religious um, aspect of of Christianity and church attendance, but really more about a certain sort of brand of political yeah. ideology that is about exerting control.
0: Yeah, our our work has always been asking people to make the common good, the voting criteria. But in this election cycle, on the side of this bus that we're traveling on. It says, faith, hope, and love, not insurrections and Christian nationalism. We never thought we'd have to be so explicit about distinguishing between, you know, religion of faith, hope, and love and Christian nationalism and an insurrection that was funded and fueled in great part by the thinking and the ideas of Christian nationalism. And Paul, you're exactly right. As we've done our study and working with experts on Christian nationalism, well, it's not a religion. It is a political ideology and that political ideology uses the constructs of faith in order to push its ideas. And there's a hearty percentage of Americans who hold very casually or very intensely to Christian nationalist ideas, you know, it's pushing 50% of the American population. So we're out making a very clear call because there are people running for office at the state level in Pennsylvania for governor, uh, people running for office in, in, that are sitting representatives in, in Congress, and uh, people who are talking about running for president again and donald trump who are statedly working in again in the christian nationalist spaces and um, after the insurrection on january 6th we all realized how deadly this can be not only to individuals lives but how dangerous and deadly it can be to our democracy so there's a lot going on and a lot of work that we're all having to do to be sure that we make a clear call to say That Christian nationalism is something that cannot be abided any longer without a robust faith response, as well as people who don't hold to faith uh, reacting to the the detriment of Christian uh, Christian nationalism in the country.
6: I think it's really important that that people like you, who are really rooted in the—especially the evangelical community— both of us are white men, and we know that there's a, a racial component to the, you know, to the Christian nationalist movement that it goes back to. I, I would, I would say at least the 1920s um, with the Ku Klux Klan movement. Uh, and, and we're, you know, we just have to be aware that we have a special responsibility not to, yeah. not to call this about other people, but you know, that the reason I like, I, the reason I, I don't all, I, I, I try not to say, oh, it's, it's not a Christian thing is because yeah. it, I don't want to be absolved too much. I want to recognize that there's things that, you know, that are within our tradition that we have to, we need to call out and, uh, you know, I'm exercise as a D de- almost as this demon of a spirit of of lack of hospitality, lack of generosity, lack of love. And so I really appreciate what you're doing. So you're going to roll into Columbus. Tell us what happens when you roll into Columbus. Like, what's the first thing that happens? Who have you reached out to? Who's, who do you expect to see there? And what kind of message are you hoping to, to impart there?
0: Yeah, when we're on the road. We're doing two kinds of events. Today we're going to run a Confronting Christian Nationalism training event at a church, uh, this particular church is uh, associated with a Methodist uh, denomination, but it's also going to be a lot of evangelical leaders. We run these trainings all over the country. They're two-hour trainings that really walk people through an understanding of Christian nationalism, how they can recognize it when they see it, and then how they can endeavor into a deeper sense of empathy and engagement with the people in their lives and the people around them. Because it does it's not enough just for you know, organizations and leaders to talk about this. People need to have the capacity to speak about these issues in their own, in their own relationships. And people often ask us, you know, Hey, are you just out there preaching to the choir? And anybody who's done church work knows without a good choir, you don't have much of a church, right? And the, the, what we can do is have uh, you know, a choir of millions that are prepared to sing a song that is an alternative to Christian nationalism will be much better than any one statement. But we do all kinds of work. We're hanging billboards up in Pennsylvania that call this stuff out. We're traveling in our bus, we're working in the media, we're training people on the ground to be able to go and engage. So that's what we'll do today. Tomorrow we'll be engaged in Pennsylvania in a rally event. We're gonna be standing with Josh Shapiro who's running for the governor uh, of Pennsylvania. And he's running against someone named Doug Mastriano who is statedly, participated in the activities that led to the insurrection. He's someone who's called for Christian nationalist ideas to fund and fuel his campaign running for governor. So we're doing both of these public outdoor rally events with, you know, on the side of our bus drawing attention. And we're also working uh, in churches and doing long form training with people. And we've developed online training and downloadable curriculums and all kinds of resources that people can utilize. So we're trying to come at this with, you know, a range of um, styles of communication, as well as um, different places where people can connect to us. And we put all this stuff online too, so people can watch all the trainings right. online. They can right. watch them live or share them after after the fact.
6: It's great that um, you can be rooted in your own faith tradition, but recognize that you're actually participating in a democracy with people of many different faith traditions and no faith traditions, all of whom deserve respect and and dignity and an equal place at the table, and so you showing up with the Jewish candidate in Pennsylvania is right. saying like our values are not do not dictate that we need a Christian there. It needs we need we have values that we need represented, and a secular person could represent those values. Or you can correct me if I'm wrong, but but that's no, how that's, I'm
0: seeing it. That's your exactly work. right. Yeah, that is exactly right. In fact, we, we make a, a strong point that we're not out trying to elect. Christian candidates. We're not trying to elect candidates who care about the common good. I have the privilege of my congressional representative is Ilhan Omar, a Somali Muslim woman. Now we, I don't support Ilan Omar because we share a common faith. I support her because we have a shared commitment to the common good. And when she's representing me, I don't want her utilizing only her text of religious tradition for making laws any more than I want my Senator, Tina Smith, to be using Matthew 25. I want both of them to be motivated by whatever motivates them, but then to use the common law agreement of developing a secular society for all of us to benefit in and the freedom of expression of our faith. This is the important thing. We want faith voters to be motivated by their faith to vote for the common good, but we're not asking for candidates to be the representatives of our religion in their public office. That's the thing we're we've struggled with as a nation for a long time. How do we make a balance between representing all when your representative comes from a particular place in our society, a particular tradition, a particular cultural uh, understanding? But that's what we do. We work to having a society that is always beneficial for all, open to all and never extremist. Now, I would say that my Christian tradition also calls me to that but our representatives need to dig into something deeper than just their religious tradition for their work as lawmakers. And this isn't, this isn't easy. We've struggled, you know, look, we started a country out of a bunch of colonies and, you know, amendment number one was let's throw religion and you know, let's talk about what we're going to do about religion with the establishment clause that we will not establish a religion. Not everyone agreed with that um, amendment 246 years ago, but it is the law on the land. And frankly, not everyone agrees with it today. There are people running for office at the state level, at the county level, at the national level who don't agree with the notion of not establishing a religion. Which, they is, want religion which to... is a
6: terrible, the reason religion has thrived in this country is because they made the decision not to have a state religion. And we have to recognize they could have made it a Christian nation had they decided to make it a Christian nation, but they didn't. They did not. We are not that. And that's the reason Christianity has been so vibrant in this country and different forms of Christianity have been so vibrant in this country. And, and other forms of religiosity, as well as secular, have been able to thrive because we don't have a state religion. And the idea that we have to somehow reinstate a Christian nation or create a myth that there was a Christian nation at the founding is so antithetical to what actually makes America strong and American religion religious traditions strong. So so to be to say that there's a separation of church and state at our founding is not to be anti religious, it's to recognize the power of right. that to in in helping religions thrive, and so I, I just think that's so important, and uh, and I just love I love every way you're talking about this. I think it's exactly in line with what I feel at the Interfaith Alliance and, and my own beliefs as a, as a individual as a Christian as a and as a as a part of America, and I, as I like to say, I am anti-Christian nationalism because I'm a Christian and because I'm a patriot. Like right. those two things to make me anti-Christian nationalism because I exactly fear for right. my country and I fear for my faith. So tell me, um, people want to get involved. They, would it be votecommongood.org or what, what's the best way yeah. for people yeah. to
0: find out what you're doing? Yeah, that's right. You can go to our website, votecommongood.com or .org. Either of those will bring you to the same place. And uh, yeah, lots of ways to connect there. And
6: think about it. You can learn how to talk to your neighbor better, your family better. Learn about Christian nationalism. Learning about all, all sorts of different opportunities to participate. And the more we can s- figure out ways to participate, the less lonely we feel. The less um, the less powerless we feel. The more we feel like we're owning and participating in our in our democracy and. With our neighbors and loved ones. So Doug Paget is the executive director of Vote Common Good, touring the country with a big orange bus, bringing the message to Vote Common Good and stand against Christian nationalism. Safe travels, Doug. Thank you for being with us. Well, really, it really an honor. Thank you so much. We need to take one last break. And then, the frightening state of the impending elections in Florida. Cecile Schoon, president of the Florida League of Women Voters, will be here. You're listening to State of Belief Radio, brought to you by Interfaith Alliance. State of Belief Radio, twice every weekend on the Progressive Voices
7: Network. Hey, it's Stephanie Miller. Here's what we're talking about. Trump is now vowing to challenge the midterm results in swing states, including Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. of course. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, This idiot is basically telling Republicans not to bother voting because it's going to be rigged against them anyway. Trump is handing us an opening if we put in the work in these final two weeks, to which I say uh, yes. We, being liberal helpers, I've mentioned this many times, I think it's almost a public service announcement. Don't you think so? That Mike Pillow tells you, if you're Republican, do not vote until election day. You cannot trust anything, the mail, drop boxes. But alternatively, you can put your ballot in your pillowcase. As long as you have a my pillow, put your, slip your ballot under your pillow and the uh, vote ferry will pick it up. Yeah, the ballot you don't need comes. To, you don't need to go to the polls, you don't need to mail it, don't do anything keep it that's where it's safe it's right under your pillow put all of your money under your mattress and then also uh your vote in your pillow
4: so the vote fairy is the long arm of
6: government go- coming into
4: your yes, bedroom
7: yes yes the long arm of government <laughs> that also should decide oh, also, when women have a you know right. a choice well what that would the long arm of government will grab your ballot
0: when, you, when the ballot right. fairy comes, yeah. they also check your ovulation calendar. Yes,
7: they check your menstrual cycle, and then they yeah. uh, they know when it's safe to take your ballot. But you know what? That's the only way you can protect your ballot from VLM and Antifa, is if you put it. Only Republicans, let's review. Only Republicans put your ballot in your pillowcase. Because they believe in, in the it ballot mm-hmm. fairy. That's, that's the only time government is good, is when it, the vote fairy comes and takes it. Oh.
4: I was raised thinking it was the ballot fairy. I'm sorry.
7: Do you think that clip's going to end up on right wing, you know, Democrats trying to engage in voter fraud? We could hope. We could use the publicity, probably. Did you get that, Newsbusters? Right. Or Mark Levin. Will that be on Stephanie Miller? Find The Stephanie Miller Show every Monday through Friday at 9 to noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific, right here on Progressive Voices.
4: You're listening to State of Belief Radio on the Progressive Voices Network.
6: Welcome back to State of Leaf Radio. I'm Paul Rauschenbusch. Whether it's Christian nationalism, QAnon conspiracies, or other assaults on our democracy, the obstacles to voting are multiplying. With midterm elections on Tuesday, November 8th, and early voting already underway across the nation, few places are facing as many challenges as Florida which is why I'm thrilled to have the state's League of Women Voters President Cecile Schoon with us on State of Belief Radio. President Schoon, welcome to the show.
5: Thank you. It's an honor to be one of your guests.
6: Uh, We're delighted. Uh, So, you know, I just want to start with the terrible thing that just made me sick to my stomach, seeing these videos of these people who had done their time, who had been told that they could vote, And then a sting operation, humiliating.
5: All right. First of all, those were absolutely excruciating, painful videos to watch. And you could see even the police felt ill. Like, I don't know why we're doing that. You could tell in their voice, you know, that sounds like it could be a defense. They were sympathetic. So that, that was right there in the video. But I want everyone to understand all of these issues were litigated when the league and many other plaintiffs we went to court and we we litigated against the changes to have to pay all the fines and fees before someone could vote and the judge ruled that that was a poll tax. Now what we heard in that testimony was the government knows it's not well set up for this system. All of the experts said we don't have enough resources to find out if people can vote, The, the underlying documents were not well integrated. In other words, it's a stack of cards. They said themselves, we cannot do this. We need a whole lot of money and resources to revamp, records are lost, burnt, you know, all of these things they said. They were not kept in a consistent way and you are trying to base a fundamental right onto something that's not integrated. They said that. Everybody admitted it. So to have now a system where we looked in the records and you haven't paid, when they themselves in the litigation this is not me summarizing it's right there to be read they said uh, the maria matthews the attorney for the division of Elections, said she had 13 lawyers i don't have enough to do the work they said it took months to research back and forth because the 67 court systems don't speak to each other uh, Yeah, outrageous and the government should be responsible yeah. for telling someone whether you can vote it's not good enough that the government says Oh, we can't figure it out. Oh, by the way, you made a mistake and we're going to put you in jail. It's
6: it's it, 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 but but then sense. but but the the effect is chilling.
5: Yes. The
6: effect is is I mean, I think it was an extremely effective tactic. Frankly, if you look at DeSantis holding a press conference right around that same time, it was an effective right. tactic and I just think it's 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 reprehensible. I appreciate so much the league calling it out. Um, and makes me think of like what's happening in Arizona with all the voter intimidation. But the League of Women Voters, again, mm-hmm. rah rah, League of Women Voters, uh, litigated to say this is right. intimidation, and they won. Exactly. They won. It was announced yesterday, and so people can't show up to poll boxes with machine guns. Uh, wow. And, you know, and and uh, and so it's, again, another example. League of Women Voters, y'all take a look, participate, Thank because you. what I see the league doing is participating democracy and encouraging other people to participate in democracy exactly Excellent. in a moment where we have a, a, a concerted effort on some people to actually
5: Dis, dis,
6: disengage people from the and democracy let
5: me let me bring a foil to that so a contrasting foil the day before the press conference i think it was august 20th with the governor announcing the the 20 arrests right the day before there was a group of people who had voted twice in the villages which is very in florida very republican upper class basically mostly white folk they were offered plea deals the day before it's now, unbelievable. There should be equal justice. Uh, oh. where, was, where was the SWAT team? Where were the handcuffs? Yeah, thank where you. Where was <laughs> all of that with those people? Oh, my
6: God. So, so tell me a little bit about the other priorities. You know, the election will come and it will go. And then the, the issues of democracy, which are larger than elections, will remain. And, uh, but I, and I know that um, the League of Women Voters is just very, very involved in that at the yeah. national, but also local level. What, are you, what is on the agenda for the next several months or, or year?
5: Well, again, we are going to be doing some town halls. We've selected a, in the community, and it'll be a hybrid in person, and we'll try to do them in educational institutions, high schools, uh, community colleges, places where generally community feels welcome. And we want to uh, really present both sides of whatever issue. So the main topics that we've selected first are um, education because there are passions on both sides, you know, of how to do education. And we wanna have authentic civil conversations so people can judge for themselves. We'll start that and we're looking to start in January. We're gonna then follow it up with uh, town halls on women's issues. Again, we're returning to our base, the ERA. Why hasn't it been passed? A woman's right to choose. Um, a woman's uh, the status of women. You know how mm. that impacts their civic involvement. So that'll be another series.
6: Um. So so tell me a little bit. R- right now, we are in the last week of the election. Are there are there get out the vote efforts um, that that the league is? You know, when you when you talk about like encouraging people to participate in democracy. What, what does that mean to the league like when it's the week before an election?
5: Well, for example, we're doing a lot of Zooms. I've been, myself and many league members have been asked to speak. Um, still, there's not full public gathering in every institution. Right. I just did uh, a Zoom last night with my sorority and I've got one planned on Thursday night and um uh, been asked to go to pensacola there's going to be a movie night and it's going to be a movie on emmett till i guess it's uh uh-huh. one of the previews and then there's going to be discussion about the importance of voting and i was asked to speak and we're targeting youth oh. there are events in my neighborhood in my town uh, of go2v events that have been going on that the league has been participating in we provide voter guides sometimes i'm able to go other league members to talk about things we're knocking doors so things are going on across the the state different things according to the abilities of the different leagues but i could say in north florida it's full on we're working with other local organizations our local chapters of the naacp our local black uh, fraternities historically black fraternities and sororities are getting out and doing work and they again they often seek uh, you know, myself, I'm a member of one of them, the Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, Incorporated, and so my sorors are asking me, and many of our, the Divine Nine, the other Greek organizations, are asking for information. So we're, there's a big push, and we're the league is being asked to talk about the amendments. Our voter guides are flying off the shelf, and we are just want to get the education out. We, our phrase is we empower voters and we protect democracy. So by giving that information out, that is what we've been up to.
6: I love that. I think that empower voters, protect democracy. And I think that, you know, I honestly think that there may, we may be in one of those inflection points where the League of Women Voters, people begin to see the league and recognize that Absolute crucial role that the league is playing, has played, and must play in our democracy, and I just I, I applaud it so much. Thank For you. if if you had one word of hope, or one you know one anecdote that made you feel like oh this is like what we're oh doing. Oh gosh! Is, you're
5: making me pick. I'm making right, you pick, got, and,
6: and and all those.
5: Story. All, yeah, tell I've me a story. A story. Tell me a story. Powerful. Good. I live in a very southern small little town. That's um, pretty red, and uh, so when when African Americans run for office, it's a big deal. So uh, just last year, um, there were several African Americans running for office in a little town, Lynn Haven, And so the league and one of the local community organizations, they have youth in it. It's a youth choir. Uh, we trained them to call on the phone to the to the uh, black residents and just say, hey, there's people running for office. And we printed out a flyer that they leafleted. So they texted, they called, they knocked doors. And as a result, we have a new black mayor in one of these very southern towns by 34 votes. Wow. Yeah, so the students were excited. Yeah. They made a difference. So the next generation is learning. Yeah. And it demonstrated and it's fired up the entire community. So now we have Churches, as you said, working together, different churches, different youth groups, the local NAACP, the local league, the state league, Black Voters Matter has been very generous with local mini grants. So it's because we're starting to have some successes. You got to believe, first of all. Yeah. And then you have a small success. And then what's happening locally, everybody's in. And I'm seeing this kind of effort across the state in little pockets where people actually know each other, you know, and they're able to connect and work together. So there is hope. It's Absolutely. That's
6: that. a perfect story. It's also a story, as you said, it's, it's a story that involves young people participating and seeing, oh, if I show up, it makes a difference. And, yes. and, and if, I, if my part of what I try to do is invite other people to show up, it makes a difference. And it's Absolutely. just incredibly, it's an incredibly beautiful story. It's exactly what I can, I, I think the the league and our democracy writ large is meant to do is that we can all show up, we can, we can participate in our democracy. And, and we all have to be aware that, that there are going to be obstacles to it. And we have to we have to name them and we have to work to, to, to remove those obstacles.
5: Absolutely. Whether and start in, local. Start whether, local. With start people you local. Know.
6: Start Because
5: local. You, you know that synagogue, you know, yes, that mosque. That's you know right. These people. That's and right. so when we all agree that we're going to go forward in a nonpartisan way, it's really community building exactly. in addition to building our, our enfranchisement. If people want any more information about voting They can go to vote411.org, and it's a one-stop shop. You can check your personal status, um, your status as a registered voter. You can check to see what the issues are. You can check the voter guide. The digital voter guide is there. We also have a dedicated line to any returning citizen, person with a felony conviction who finished your your prison time and your probation, and you're still not sure, please call 407- 710-5496 that's a dedicated line or click on I vote at lwvfl.org we have trained attorneys who are donating their time to look at each individual case and if need be they can actually go to court with you
6: wow so there is no that's, I'm going to ask you to say both of those numbers one more time just so yes. that anybody who needs them doesn't have to rewind or doesn't have to call their station uh, yeah. to say I missed it I missed sure. it say it one more yeah. time.
5: Mhm. There's an email I vote at lwvfl.org and at cani vote all one word at lwvfl.org. That is that, a dedicated— that's a League
6: of League of Women Voters Florida. uh, uh, Yeah, that's great.
5: And then there's also a dedicated number. You can leave a message 407-710-5496. And we have hundreds of lawyers who have received training that the league has written training, actually, that the Florida Bar has approved for credit for lawyers. And it's free. We're offering it free. And we're saying, dear lawyer, you got this free training that you need to do to maintain your license, you know, like you have to have 35 right. credits anyway. Right. So, so can you help, can some of you help with our, with the problems of the citizens? And we're getting a great response. I so just, nobody th- has to guess, nobody guess. you can get an answer.
6: This is, uh, this is, uh, I, I'll, I'll say this is, it's life-changing, life-saving work. This is the League of uh, of Women Voters of Florida. I've been talking to President Cecile Schoon. It has been an absolute honor to have you on this show. I, I, wanna, I, I appreciate you, and I appreciate all you're doing.
5: Thank you. This has been a pleasure to share the information.
6: And with that, I'm afraid that's all the time we've got for this week's show. We've covered a lot of ground today. And it can be challenging to talk about current threats to our democracy and religious freedom while maintaining hope and resilience. But talking to these people doing important work on the ground really helps. And these are the stories we need to keep on hearing. And that's a key reason why State of Belief is on the air. I hope you'll consider helping us to amplify the voices doing this crucial work by making a financial contribution to keep this program going strong information on how to donate is available at stateofbelief.com. That's stateofbelief.com. You can be part of making sure informative and encouraging voices like these are heard by sharing this program with friends and family. Let's get more people listening and more people taking part in these conversations, both on and off the air. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the free weekly State of Belief podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. And join the conversation. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at State of Belief and share State of Belief with the people in your life. State of Belief is produced by Ray Kerstein and is a production of Interfaith Alliance. Become a member today at interfaithalliance.org. And be sure to join us next week. Until then, I'm Paul Rauschenbusch and thanks for joining. I think it's time we
1: stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody look what's going on.